And so tonight we're going to take back that word and we're going to give a, diff- we're going to give a definition to it. To do that, like I said, we're going to use the story of Ruth and Boaz. And for a lot of people in the room that are in relationships or have been in relationships and have never tried Christian relationships, it's going to sound strange. Some of this is going to sound strange. But I'm going to maintain that I, I said this two weeks ago and I've said this every semester since I've been here in Haggis for Christ. I think that God asks us to do strange things, not because he's some big white-bearded man sitting in the sky that wants to, wants to point down and see, like, what kind of ridiculous stuff can I make them do today? That's not what I think God does what he does. I think God does what he does because he has a design for relationships. He has a design for what you do with your money. He has a design for sex. He has a design for everything. And things work better when we do things according to his design. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to go back to the design that he had for love. And so for the next 15 minutes that I talk, even if this isn't something you believe in, for the next 15 minutes that I talk, just imagine, what if love stories looked like this today? What if we let God write a love story today? What would it look like? Give me 15 minutes to build that case. And so we're going to start with this epic story right now. You can go to the next slide. So here's how the love story starts. There was this woman named Naomi. She had a husband named Elimelech. Elimelech. They had two kids, two boys, their names were Chilion and Malone. Those were the two sons that they have. And they had two wives, Orpah and Ruth. And so there's where our main character, Ruth, comes in. I told you this story was about Ruth and Boaz, which means something bad has to happen. You can go to the next slide. See, tragedy strikes this family, and all three men die. All the patriarchs of the family are dead. So now there's Naomi, the mother-in-law, and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, and this is what's left. It's a very sad time. Now, sorry for this Bible genealogy, but this is important because you need to know the facts about what these women are facing. In this society, the, the society wasn't built for women to thrive on their own like it is in 2017. It was, it, was, it was way, way, way different. So you need to know what these women are up against. And so here's how the story starts in Scripture. Verse 8, this is Naomi talking to her daughter-in-laws. Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. So here what Naomi is doing, she's saying, look, I understand that staying with me is going to ruin your lives. Naomi's too old to remarry. She's too old to have kids, so no one's going to marry her again. So she's telling her daughter-in-law, like, leave, get out of here. It's, It's fine. You can go, you can leave me to die. I know I'm dead weight. It is a sad thing. If you, if you think about it in modern times, like this is a historical event. This actually happened. So if you think about it like that, like, man, they did life together. They had kids together. They had kids and families and birthday parties, all kinds of things. And now this family is, the men are dead. And they're trying to pick up this. And so this is a sad event that's happened. And, uh, and, and the women react like this. Verse 14 says this. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. But Ruth clung to her. See, Orpah ends up listening to Naomi, but Ruth, she just can't do it. She can't leave her mother-in-law. She can't just let her sign up for this life of, of tragedy. That's all that's going to happen to Naomi if they leave her, and Ruth cannot do it. And so Ruth makes this amazing vow of loyalty to her mother-in-law. And it goes like this. It's a really beautiful and most powerful in scripture. It says this, verse 16. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. 
And, and so I know we haven't introduced, I, I know I said this is going to be a love story, and there's going to be romance, and we haven't even talked about Ruth's new guy, Boaz, but you can already see an element of love in this story, right? Look at the way she's loving her mother-in-law. Isn't that absolutely amazing that she, would, that she would throw away her own well-being, her own future, to stay with her mother-in-law, even though she told her to go? It's pretty powerful. Uh, a lot of you know that uh, I'm recently married. So as of tomorrow, it will be um, seven months that me and Tessa have been together. And we have had a really great seven months so far. I've seen her grow into the most amazing wife. She's a caring individual. She's extremely, she's a calm presence when I go home in the afternoons. I'm kind of high strung and she really calms me down. And it's just, it, it, it's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing asset to me to have at the house, just how she compliments me fills in where I lack. But initially, when me and Tessa started talking, um, she didn't love me quite like I loved her. And so I had, to, I had to kind of stand at a distance and wait for things to develop. And so it wasn't the potential of her being a wife that I started to fall for. She wasn't showing me any romance. What I started to fall for her was the way that she loved other people. And so you can go to this next slide right here. This is a picture of... Um, <laughs> This is a picture of Tessa and her maid of honor and best friend, Megan. You can go to the next slide. This is them in eighth grade over here, and then you can see time does them well in 2017. So <laughs> that's, how, that's how they grew up. You see, um, when I first started dating, or when I first started dating to know Tessa, these two were inseparable. And I could not get Tessa alone away from Megan long enough to tell her how I felt, but it was an extremely powerful love that they had and still have for each other. It was really special. And one of the most attractive things to me about Tessa in the beginning of our friendship was the way that she loved Megan so well. There was other people too, the way she loved her nephews and the type of friend that she was. It was just absolutely amazing to watch her love. And I knew before even ever being romantic with her that that might turn into someone to be a really great wife because of the way she loved so well. And the same thing is going to start to happen to Boaz in our story right now. He is, he's been hearing about these things that are going on with Ruth and with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and he hears about the, the way she stayed with her mother-in-law. And, she, and he's really attracted to, the, to this notion of, wow, this, this lady's character is really high. And so we continue the story in chapter 2, verse 11. It reads like this. This is, this is Boaz finally talking to Ruth. This is how the, story, the love story starts. I've been told about all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. <laughs> and we read this and we're like, all right, all right, all right. Finally, the love story is getting going. This is like the 1000 BC way to spit game. Like, Bo Boaz is like, Boaz is like, may the, may the Lord richly, richly bless you, you sexy thing you. And that's just, that's just kind of what, that's kind of what's going on here. It, 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 Boaz is starting to get attracted to the character of Ruth. The character of Ruth is really starting to attract him. So sermon point number one tonight. In God's love story, there is romance for each other and a shared love for all. Romance for each other, sure. That's in all love stories. You read a Nicholas Sparks book or a movie, whatever, you're going to know there's romance for each other. But in God's love story, there's a shared love for other people as well. And Boaz is beginning to see this in, his, uh, in, in, in the lady he's interested in, in the roof. You know, as Christians, we should want to be with people who love other people well. It's a great sign of what type of 
um, spouse or partner that they would be. I, uh, I dated this girl one time, and she was fine, she was okay, but um, I knew we weren't gonna work out when we used to drive through fast food restaurants. And she would treat the people in the window like trash, like absolute trash, like they were just below her, and they had to um, just, just make everything right, and she didn't even acknowledge it, it was horrible. And the first time I drive through a fast food restaurant with Tessa, it's like a reverse Chick-fil-A experience. Like Tessa is asking them if she can do anything for them, like she's so sweet. Now, she would say it's because she works in the food industry, but I read through that. Say it's like her character is really high. She loves other people as well, and that's extremely attractive. I'm not going to say in the drive-through of McDonald's that I knew I was going to marry her, but man, it really did start to, really did start to speak to me. So we're in point number two tonight. In God's love story, kindness sets the tone. In God's love story, kindness sets the tone. My third favorite movie of all time followed behind number one, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and number two, Friday Night Lights. My third favorite movie of all time is, next slide, Hitch, starring Will Smith. I love it. It's a great movie. Everybody loves that movie. The, I, I think the reason why I like this movie is because it kind of resets the tone for like how kind romance can be. Now, does it start like that? Next slide. The way the movie starts is with this kind of cat and mouse game between Eva Mendez and Will Smith's character. Eva Mendez is like this kind of hard to get, like she knows she's fine, she knows she's, um, she knows she's gonna be single forever, no guy's gonna cut it, whatever. But she's kind of pessimistic, she's kind of mean. And Will Smith likes playing this game with her. He likes chasing her and doing all these cute dates and he makes a fool of himself, so it's kind of funny. But this is not the reason why I love Hitch. The next slide is why I love Hitch. Kevin James' character, he is so funny in this movie. He is such a funny character in this movie. But the reason why I like his part of this movie so much is because he is so kind. Throughout the whole movie, the woman he's pursuing, I don't remember the name of that actress, but he is so kind to her. And she's kind in return. It's not this, it's not this sexy game that Will Smith and Eva Mendes are playing with all their drama. It's kindness. It's kindness. And I think that's why I like the movie so much. See, when God reigns supreme in your love story, kindness sets the tone. And so, fellas, regardless of uh, like what it's going to look like in front of your, in front of your friends, or in front of your boys, or whatever, this is the call for the men as well. And you'll see that with the next verse here in chapter 2 of Ruth. So this is, uh, this is where Boaz is going to give Ruth not a job, but Boaz is going to let Ruth start taking his food from his field. So he can put her and her mother-in-law and survive this very kind thing he's about to do. Verse 8. This is Boaz to Ruth. Listen to me. Don't, don't, don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the young, men, uh, young women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you feel thirsty, Go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. This is a, I mean, we might just read over this, but this is a powerful sign of favoritism. Boaz is doing a really sweet thing for Ruth right here. He's letting her um, come into his fields and take his food for free. He's helping take care of Ruth and her mother-in-law. This is just a nice thing to do. Later on in chapter 2, there's going to be an example where... Um, where Boaz tells him, like, hey, leave some, leave some bundled up grain, leave it out on Ruth's way home so she can take it home. So he's taking care of Ruth, and she's not going to know he's the one who told them to leave it out. He's being kind to her, even when he's not going to get the points for being kind, right? 
It's an extremely, extremely kind gesture. And that's amazing. And this is the thing about Ruth and Boaz, when you study the story, that, that if you're in a healthy relationship, you're, you're starting to get affirmed right now. And if you're in a relationship where, you know, there's potential, you're starting to be like, okay, I can work towards that. If you're in a relationship that you know you're not supposed to be in, when you read the story of Ruth and Boaz, like I said, it starts to sting. It starts to sting a little bit because God's standards for relationships are so much higher. But it's because he has such a better plan than we have for ourselves. And so the last passage I have for tonight, we got to, we got to skip ahead to chapter 4. Seriously, if you want to know what the Bible has to say about love stories, read the book of Ruth. You can read it in 15 minutes. It's super short. But we got to skip ahead for tonight. We're going to read about this part of the book that happens where um, it, it's a ceremony called redemption. Redemption. This is an Old Testament thing. We know what the word means in our language, but it meant something a little bit different back then. So verse 7 reads like this. This is how Ruth and Boaz are going to become husband and wife. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer, this is the one who owned the property, um, said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Verse 9. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malone. And I have acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malone's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead in, with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Now I beg you do not read this as some weird Bible thing that's going on. You saw a sandal get taken off, and you hear about property, and you're just like, man, this is crazy. Old Testament stuff, but really, look deeper about what's going on here. The word redemption was, was chosen as a reason to be translated to English, because redemption is absolutely what's happening right here. Yes, Boaz is about to get a wife, and clearly that comes with some benefits, but more than anything, Boaz is saving two lives right now. He's taking on Naomi and her property and her responsibility, maybe some debts, He's taking on Ruth and everything that comes along with her, all the baggage of her life before, the fact that she's, that he's going to carry on her dead husband's name. Like, this is some amazing stuff that Boaz is doing for this family. He's literally saving them from a life of poverty and from a life of struggle. And so, summary point number three tonight, in God's love story, redemption is the final chapter. Redemption is the final chapter. See, every time we read scripture in the Old Testament, what we should try to do is we should try to say, like, okay, well, what does this teach us about Jesus? What does this story that happened a thousand years before Jesus got on the scene, what does it teach us about Jesus? Especially in a love story like this. I think we find that pretty clearly when we start talking about redemption. The thing Christians claim is the gospel is this cross that says on the cross, redemption happened. Jesus paid the price. Jesus died on the cross, and now we get to be free. And we celebrate this. This is what saves us. This is how we find redemption in the Old Testament. This is how it responds to Jesus. This is something we go crazy for. This is the gospel. This is what we celebrate. But also, this should be something that we apply to our lives as well. We should apply the idea of redemption to our lives as well. The last question is tonight, what does that even look like? What does being a person of redemption look like in 2017? So I'm going to close with this. Uh, believe it or not, even though I'm the campus minister, uh, my past before Tessa wasn't exactly spotless. And 
Hers was far different than mine, but also not perfect. The when people look at me and her, maybe they say like, "Wow, they just have this this perfect Christian, happy-go-lucky relationship. They just met at the church and everything was fine, and there's no drama." That's just not the case. That's not the case at all. But the thing about Tessa that just that just changed things for me is that she made me feel new. She made me feel new, despite my past. She made me feel new. When two redeemed people, two people who are redeemed by what Jesus did for them, get together, they help redeem each other. They make each other feel new. And so I know there's a lot of you in the room tonight that are carrying baggage from past or from current relationships. And if I can offer you any advice, it's to be with somebody who gives you that feeling of newness. Somebody who makes you feel new day in and day out. And more than anything, find somebody that's going to make you pursue the cross because the real work of redemption, the real newness, came from what Jesus did. And so you want somebody that not only makes you feel like that on this earth, but points to you, but points you to the cross of where the real redemption actually happened. And that's what Tessa did for me. And greater than that, that's what Jesus did for me. And that's what the mission of my life will be for other people until I breathe my last breath. The definition of redemption reads like this. The action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. And our last point for the night comes on the next slide. Meaning that saved people save people. Read that slowly. Saved people save people. This is redemption. The goal of a believer should be to live a love story that everyone around them can see, yes, but that people around that love story can feel and that benefits them as well. And so whether you are in a relationship tonight or not, or wildly, wildly single, not even close to a relationship, the mission is the same. If you want to care for others, if you want to show kindness, and if you want to be a person of redemption that plays a role in helping set people free, you will have a love story of epic, epic proportions. And that's what I'm praying over every single one of you in this room tonight. It's not just about romance. It's about being a person that cares for others, that is kind, and that wants to help save you. Will you pray for me? Dearly Father, we love you, we praise you, we're thankful for tonight. If there's anything that's confusing for this generation, the final generation for us, it's well, I pray tonight you will give us an extra heaping of wisdom as we try to pursue um, romance on this earth. But we, I pray for that as we try to pursue you. God, you are the most important element to every love story, and you will write love stories for every single person in this room. So I pray that over the people in relationships right now, that their relationships would benefit other people. I pray for the singles in the room, that they would benefit people around them. That for everyone in the room, that kindness would be something that just pumps through our veins, God. And that more than anything, that we can be a people that point to your cross for the real work of redemption that you did for us 2,000 years ago. God, we love you and we praise you. I'm so thankful for this group tonight. So thankful most of all for your son and what he did on the cross. He is most precious in my prayer. Everybody said, Amen.